Welcome to CX Diaries. CX Diaries from the Customer Experience Foundation is our podcast where we talk to the people at the sharp end of CX and contact centres. The movers and the shakers, the innovators, the disruptors, and the people delivering in the real world who share their personal stories of their journey through our industry. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Wilson. Like many of us, Rob stumbled into the world of customer service when he joined Aviva, which was then Norwich Union, for a gap year in 1986. Working in the head office claims team, he rose to become head of sales and service over a 30-year career and uh, was successful in winning Best Large Call Centre in the UK two years running at the ICS Awards. He is also a leading systems thinking practitioner, spending time working with teams in Singapore, Hong Kong, Italy, Poland, Ireland and France. Rob has recently left the insurance industry and joined Hyperoptic, the UK's largest alt-net fibre broadband provider, as customer service director. Rob, welcome. Pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks, Keith. Great to be here. Uh, quite a long, quite a long career. So you, you're at Hyperoptic now. Let's start there. For, for our listeners that are not familiar with Hyperoptic or Altnet Fibre Broadband, tell us all about that. Well, I'm still very much on that learning journey, Keith. So I'm not going to be the expert telling you all about uh, fibre broadband. But yeah, um, essentially Hyperoptic, along with a number of um, other altnet um, providers, um, we are we're kind of challenging some of those uh, those big boys in the broadband industry um, with our own uh, fiber network delivering delivering um, uh, yeah, one gigabyte speeds to uh, to customers. Um, but it's not just about speed; it's also about trying to shake up the industry from a customer service point of view as, as well. And we want to be the, the the best at customer service in the broadband industry. Amazing. And what are some of the challenges involved in uh, running that kind of organisation? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because I've spent most of my career working in big corporate organisations, um, and, and Hyperoptic is um, is uh, a, a, not not a startup, but it's definitely um, a teenager now uh, as a business that's growing fast. Um, and so, as an organisation, we're kind of on that journey from from startup to being a more established, bigger, uh, bigger player. And so from a customer service point of view, um, it's, it's been about maturing, it's been about growing, putting in place some of those sort of operational disciplines you need when you start to become a, a bigger, uh, bigger organization. And um, I, I spoke to another organization in, in, in your sector at one of our events last week, and, and they mentioned that they, they've actually having to mature and adapt as a business because um, quite recently, they've been pretty much an engineering business, digging up roads and putting the fibre in, and now they've actually got a customer base. They've now got to change to being a, a, a customer experience business. Is, is that the same with you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think yeah, the history of, of our business has been in that kind of infrastructure side. Um, but, you know, we've got almost 300,000 customers now, um, so it's a sizable customer base. Um, and I think that shift to being, as you say, a, a, you know, a customer service provider, 
looking after those 300,000 customers and making sure they're getting the best possible experience, um, as well as the new customers that are joining us and making sure they're getting the best onboarding experience um, that you can as well. So it's definitely a, definitely a transition time. Um, most of our listeners will know you from your time at Aviva and Norwich Union and Norwich Union Direct and uh, all, all those brands. Um, you were there 30 years. That's quite a journey. Tell us about it. Yeah, um, as you mentioned earlier, I, I actually joined on a, a gap year um, in 1986. I was planning to go to university, um, but started off in a uh, kind of customer um, service, customer facing role uh, and, and really enjoyed it. And um, I had one of those moments of reflection. Do I want to uh, go and spend three years back studying or, or start building a career uh, in this industry, which is what I, um, I, I decided to do? Um, and, and what were some of the different jobs that you did during your time? Well, I say you started out as a, a gap year in the claims team, but you, 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 you rose to be very successful there. Talk us through some of the different jobs you did. Yeah, I, I spent the first few years um, sort of you know, managing claims. Uh, and then um, I think the first breakthrough in my career came um, when I'd been working in a um, head office motor claims department, dealing with some um, referrals of fraud claims from the, the branch officers. And I started to take a real interest in uh, in, in insurance fraud, um, which wasn't really sort of managed as a, as a thing, you know, in, in those days. Um, yeah. And I took it upon myself to, dra to draft uh, an email, which you know, back in those days involved dictating into a, a machine and sending it off the typing pool, um, and, and set out a business case to, to send to the, uh, the big boss, the big claims boss, about why we should set up a dedicated um, fraud investigation team. Uh, and I sat back and waited for two days, thinking, blimey, what have, what have I done? Uh, and, and then he picked up the phone to me and said, I really like it. Come and come and see me. Um, and I was kind of plucked from the job that I was doing and asked to set up and lead this uh, this fraud investigation team. Um, I think it was one of the lessons I learned in life there that I've always shared with youngsters, which is to kind of um, you know, never be frightened about putting those ideas forward, um, because that could be a thing that, that gives you that that breakthrough. Um, and that in turn led to me becoming a claims investigator, uh, which was one of the best roles I did for a couple of years. Um, I had my little Vauxhall Astra. And I was uh, going out on the mean streets of Norfolk investigating, um, well, you know, it's mainly, mainly insurance fraud in those days. I was working with a, a more senior team of guys that I preferred to, to go to sit in um, the offices of health and safety uh, managers and you know, drink cup, cups of coffee and investigate employers' liability claims. Because I like to go out and investigate all of the, um, the, the dodgy motor theft claims um, and the suspicious burglary claims uh, and so on. Um, so that was, that was probably, the, I still think, the most fun job I ever did um, in insurance. Um, and I then, um, I, I then sort of stumbled into the, the, the call centre world um, in the, in the mid-90s. So Norwich Union Direct had just been set up um, and they, they were advertising for a, a head of claims operations. Um, and... Bear in mind, at this stage, I've, I've actually never managed anybody in my life. Um, and, uh, and I applied for this job and, and was successful. And so I found myself running a team of, at that time, probably about 200 people across two locations in Sheffield and Norwich. Um, yeah. And it grew to about 400 people as, as my first, first leadership job. Um, and I had to learn about call centres um, from, from that point. So uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, your leadership style... Where has that come from? How has that developed? What is it? Because you have led a lot of people over the years. Yeah, I, look, I, I think um, I think my leadership style probably starts off from having a really strong affinity with with people and, and the real respect for the the people on the front line. You're having started my career there and understanding some of those uh, some of those challenges. 
Um, and so I think my, my leadership style is, is very, uh, very open, very, very human. Um, and I try to relate to people on a very, very sort of personal individual uh, level. Um, I think I've always been a maverick. Um, I've been described as such, uh, and um, I've never been one to to follow the the party line just because that's the that's the approach. I I, I think I'm very values driven, um, and uh, and where my values cross perhaps sometimes with with company policy, that can uh, create some interesting uh, interesting challenges. Um, and I think that was you know that was brought to life really very much when we introduced systems thinking into uh, into Aviva because I, I think you know systems thinking which many people may associate with you know, process change um, sort of re-engineering but for me it was very much about customer service leadership and it was about trying to kind of pick apart many of the things that I think really from a leadership point of view um, didn't work for people didn't work for customers um, and fundamentally challenging some, some of that yeah and, and, and systems thinking that's not a topic we've ever covered before on CX Diary. So for someone that's new to that or not heard much about it, give us the give us a give us the idiot's guide. Yeah, look, it's a topic we could talk about for for days, Keith. Uh, to be honest, and um, yeah, in the in the world of systems thinking, um, you've only got to go on LinkedIn and say the word systems thinking, and and a punch up starts over what <laughs> systems thinking exactly is. Um, but um, I think from, from my perspective and, and from the work we did with, uh, with Aviva, it very much started off working with um, a company called Vanguard, um, the guy called John Seddon. Um, and, um, and, and what it was enabling us to do was to challenge some of the established thinking about the way that things should be done in service management from a very kind of fact and data-led approach. So um, at its heart, it's about managers opening up their, their minds to this understanding that most of the things that go wrong in contact centers actually have their foundation in management thinking and, and the core assumptions um, that cause to, to do certain things. So because we think X, we do Y, and it causes Z. We spend a lot of time trying to fix Z. Um, but the hardest part is is getting leaders, especially senior leaders, to understand their their thinking that's that's driving that. Really interesting, and and more broadly, you're you're, you're well known and, and indeed, as we touched on, award winning um, customer service manager. Where where did this CX philosophy and this customer service philosophy come about? Yeah, I, I think um, I think for me, uh, it it starts um, from from being a customer. Um, I'm, I'm one of life's um, permanent customer service improvement consultants wherever I go, whichever shop I'm in, whichever restaurant I'm in, I'm looking at ways of, uh, of, of doing, thing, doing things better. Um, I think particularly um, the thing that really kind of frustrates me is where um, you can see that rules have been invented, things that have kind of somebody's thought were a good idea that are fundamentally at, at odds with what delivering a good customer service um, should be. So, um, and I think you know, once you've, it's like Pandora's box, you know, once you open it, once you see a better way, it's really hard to unsee it. Um, and I think this, this has been one of the challenges, a number of colleagues that I've worked with over the years that, that went through this particular kind of journey, um, found it quite difficult actually to, to then work elsewhere where, where essentially that, that, that revelation, that, that kind of learning hadn't, um, hadn't taken hadn't taken effect. 
yeah, I can certainly relate to that with some of the organisations I've been to. Um, what are some of your biggest achievements? What are you most proud of through your career? Yeah, I mean, look, looking back, I think the um, the transformation that I led of the, the Aviva Direct Contact Centre um, is definitely the, the proudest moment for, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the, 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 we had a team of around a thousand people that was historically split into sales team, customer service team, renewals team, um, and everybody had their individual targets and the sales guys working the sales targets, and it was all the usual kind of bells and whistles around that. Um, and you know, this was when we first started ad adopting systems thinking and actually looking with a kind of critical eye at what was really happening from a customer point of view. And one of the first um, days I had sort of in, in that job, I was sitting with a guy that worked in a renewals team um, and doing the usual leadership chit chat. And I said, you know, how long have you been here? And he said, oh, I've been here for two years, but I was in the sales team before. And now I'm in the renewals team. Uh, very interesting. And then the first call came through and it was a customer that says, I want a quote for car insurance, which was a sales call. And the guy said, um, hang on, I'll, I'll transfer you to the sales team. And I, and I, <laughs> I said, well, that's really interesting because you've obviously spent two years in sales. You could have handled that call, couldn't you? And uh, he said, yeah, but I'm in renewals team now. I've got renewals targets to hit, not sales targets. And it was a really kind of powerful lesson for me of seeing that how the way that we designed the system, you know, the, the org design, the reward system was actually having... Uh, an impact on the customer experience and, and actually was driving a lot of inefficiency into the the, um, the business as well. And um, driving the wrong behaviours. Well, exactly, yeah. And, and not because, yeah, as, as always, it's not because you've got bad people. It's just that people are learning to adapt within within the system that you've, that you've built. Um, and this is really kind of, you know, the systems part of systems thinking for me, which is about that leaders have to design the system in such a way that it's going to, give the the right outcome for the for the customer and, and for your people so i ended up you know, getting rid of all this this nonsense of of, of splitting teams so we, we multi-skilled our agents so that they were able to handle you know sales customer service and renewals people said it couldn't be done but again one of the kind of learnings was that you, people that people are pretty smart um working in customer service um and um and, and it was the same skill set you know again one of those myths that sales people and service people were different. Well, no, they weren't, because all of the good things that made a good salesperson were actually the same behaviours that you want to see in a good customer service person as well, that you're kind of listening, empathetic, you know, that you've got good product knowledge, etc. Um, so, so you know, we got rid of all of that, um, that multi-skilling. I got rid of all of the targets in the contact centre, which again was quite a controversial thing because um, there was a lot of internal resistance to, uh, to, to that from, from senior leaders who, who thought that you, know, you couldn't possibly run a call centre without targets. How would people possibly know what to do? Um, well, yeah. guess what? You know, most of the rest of the organisation was running without having sort of daily targets on how long it took them to do uh, different yeah. things. Um, and so we, we changed the reward system. We focused everything around delivering on our purpose for customers. Um, and, and we changed the way that we measured things so that everything was about looking at measures over time, not looking at this kind of, you know, performance sort of, you know, day by day, week by week, month on month. Um, and it was great. You know, we, the, over a kind of 18 month period, we saw our MPS scores absolutely shoot through the roof from what had been a kind of a negative number up to about plus 60. Um, and I think one of the proudest moments was when our marketing team, who had probably been a bit skeptical early on about getting rid of the sales teams, when they, they actually produced a, a TV advert for us, which um, the, the, the tagline was service, service, service. 
And we start actively promoting the fact that our call center colleagues don't have targets um, and that everything within is based around um, service as well. Uh, absolutely fantastic story. Thank you so much. Um, thinking about some of the challenges, what what what, what some of the biggest issues you've, you've had to overcome? Um, I, I think without doubt, um, the biggest challenge that I've overcome in my career um, has been the um, trying to change the thinking of senior leaders. Uh, so, you know, having having led that transformation with the call center team um, in Aviva and, and systems thinking was something that our CEO was really keen on and wanted to um, wanted to roll out across the whole organization. Um, but I then led, led the team that then worked internationally in Aviva, working with, with um, different, um, different geographies, trying to, to get systems thinking put in place. And of course, what you hit was this kind of belief from a lot of people that systems thinking was about changing processes and it's coming, it's another process re-engineering. And it's when they realized that actually um, some of the things that were, were really going to drive this were going to be those leaders changing their own mindsets and changing their own behaviors. Um, and I won't name names to protect the innocent, but you know, I, worked, I worked with one operations director over a couple of years who sort of, finally admitted that he'd been sort of actively trying to sabotage the work that we were doing um, because um, yeah, it, it challenged so many of his sort of core beliefs and values and, and, and processes and systems that he put in place um, that, that he was starting to see actually were causing the problems. And that, that's really difficult for, for, for a leader. Um, and it was very often easier to work with a new leader that had come in fresh and had no kind of baggage or didn't really have skin in the game in terms of the uh, the processes, but when you work with someone that had been there for ten years, and the customer service isn't great, um, or maybe they think the customer service is great, but actually by listening to customers, you demonstrate it's not great, um, and you demonstrate that the things that are causing things to go wrong are the things that you've put in place. That that requires leadership to put your hands up and go, I can see that, and I want to change that. Um, and I think that's definitely been one of the biggest challenges. It's it's, it's the the unlearning is harder than the teaching. Yes. Um, looking upwards, um, you must have worked with some great people um, over through your career. Who, are, who have been the biggest influences on you? Yeah, I, I think um, yeah, I, I've been massively influenced by some really good leaders and, and some really poor leaders. And I think you can, you can learn from both. Um, I think the people I've always been drawn to have, have perhaps shared my maverick spirit um and, and have been people that you can see are really driven by those same kind of values um and yeah you know, i think if i look at my aviva days people like darren cornish people like hugh hessing who are really smart guys really kind of you know, commercially orientated but at their heart the thing that drives them um is the customer is their their people experience um, and they're prepared to put their heads above the parapet and speak up when they think that, that things, are, things are wrong. And I think that's just really important as a leader because ultimately that's what leadership should be about. Um, it's about being prepared to, uh, to, to, to call things out when, when you think they need calling out. Yeah. So what's next? What's the future? What should we be looking out for? What, what, what's the big things, do you think, in CX World? Yeah, look, I, it's... it's um, the all the the, the the talk and the conversation um, at the moment every week go it's all about AI and machine learning, um, and and I think that that it, it's it's got to be about getting the right blend of human interaction and, and machine support 
Um, there's no doubt that AI can do wonderful things um, and can remove many of the dull administrative tasks that we ask our people to do and can do things for customers that um, that, that you, know, you don't really need a human to do. But there's always going to be the, the place for the kind of human empathy in the in, in the customer service world. So I think that that's definitely going to be one of the, the, the big challenges. Um, I think I think for me as well, it's been interesting with the the, the team I'm leading at the moment, who, who is it's very Gen Z heavy, uh, and, um, and and there's definitely I've, I've just noticed that difference between um, their approach to work, what they want from work, um, what they want from their leaders as well. Uh, and again, I'm not sure that all organisations are really waking up to the, some of the changes that are required in you know HR policies, for example, towards that particular particular group. Um, and it, that probably then bleeds in a little bit to this whole hybrid work versus office work. And this is what I really struggle with um, because as somebody that spent a lot of my career um, working in a big contact center with the buzz and the noise and the fun and the energy. Um, and, and if you like, you know, they're all the, the good bits about working in the call center. Um, and, and I really struggle as to how you can replicate that with a, a young person now coming through, sitting at home on their own. Yes, they can do the job from home, but I just wonder where over the next two or three years, you know, that's going to, that's going to take people, you know, that they're going to miss that. Um, and I just wonder about where the future leaders are coming from when everything is it's kind of virtual. So I do think we're going to see that kind of shift back to um, more office-based working um, for, for individuals, um, because I think the human nature ultimately is going to, is going to kind of de demand that. Um, and I think the other thing that, that just kind of on my mind as well is, is this whole kind of globalization of the customer service industry and again i look back to my to my own career and starting out uh, in in the customer service world but so much of the customer service that we get in the uk now is actually now provided from other other geographies and, and, and i do worry sometimes where the future cx leaders are going to come from um, there's a much much smaller pool um, and i think one of the challenges about how we make the uk more competitive on both cost and quality um, so that we can sort of you know, build that that uh, or maintain that industry here, I think is is really important. Really fascinating, Rob. Really fascinating insights. And um, as you know, we like to ask our guests to uh, also reflect and help those coming up the industry today, the, the Gen Zs. So uh, you can go back to being twenty five again. What advice would you give to your younger self? Well, well, if I was twenty five again, I definitely wouldn't have gone into that tackle that ended my football career. Um, that may have given me a few more years of, um, of sport. But um, yeah, it, I think that's a really interesting question um, because like I said, the, um, the, the advice that I've, I've given to, to youngsters around being prepared to speak up, being prepared to challenge, um, always looking for better ways of, of doing things. As a, as a leader now, as a, as a senior leader in the industry, I love it when the younger people are prepared to kind of, you know, put the necks out and, um, and, and not just, you know, complain about what's not working well, but come up with the ways about how we can do things, do things better. Um, and I'd probably encourage myself to, you know, to, to do more of that, um, to, um, you know, to, to be somebody that, that seems a positive agent for, uh, for, for, for change um, as well. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's that's the really interesting question, isn't it? I, there's there's uh, there's many things I'd perhaps do differently if I were 25 again, um, but both personally and professionally. 
Okay. Uh, and talk to us about your love of Norwich City and what else <laughs> you get up to by the work. Yes, yes. Well, I'm so I'm a Norwich City season ticket holder. Um, I saw my first game at Carrow Road when I was I was eight years old, um, and I've uh, been going pretty much um, ever since. Uh, and um, both my daughters had season ticket holders uh, when they were younger. And um, you can flick it on them too. Yeah, I inflicted it on on them. I didn't didn't let having daughters get in the way of uh, of inflicting Norwich City on them. And, and now with my my young son James, um, he's four, uh, and he um, he now comes along to to Carrow Road with me. So um, one of the first things I did was put a Norwich City poster up in his bedroom, um, so that right from birth he would he would know that was his team. I couldn't imagine anything worse than becoming a Man U supporter or a Liverpool supporter. Um, that would be dreadful. So uh, yeah, I enjoy going to watch uh, to, to watch Norwich, um, and um, yeah, but these these days that's pretty much it with my sporting career. So it, uh, I I was. Um, injured, I got a cruciate ligament uh, injury in my knee when I was 25 that kind of killed off my football career, unfortunately. Um, but um, yeah, these days it's pretty much restricted to walking the dog um, out in the uh, the beautiful Norfolk countryside. Amazing. And you have a cockapoo, I understand. Yes, yes, Lulu. In fact, she's, she's sitting down here beside me as well. She uh, she can sit here for hours um, while I'm working during the day. Um, she loves her daddy. Amazing. And that's a brilliant way to end. Rob, it's been amazing having you with us today. Hope our listeners have found this as insightful as I have. Uh, you can find out lots more about the Customer Experience Foundation at cxfo.org. And we hope you can join us next time on CX Diaries.